Do you remember back in 2016 when the big tides led many local beaches to lose a lot of sand? I remember being just fascinated down at South Curl Curl by all the, the rocks that appeared that was where you would normally walk or run. Of course, at that time, it was Collaroy that got the most prominent attention because of the very real danger to the houses there. Before that weekend in June 2016, the houses looked pretty permanent on the top of their beach. I might get this to work. You see the Collaroy Hotel there. By Monday, they'd lost 10 to 15 metres of their property front. It was just washed out to sea. It looked very impermanent, very fragile, very fleeting, and the efforts to protect what was left, <laughs> rather futile. That stretch of Collaroy Beach is a symbol of important themes in the book of Ecclesiastes, of the fleeting and futile efforts of humanity to impact our world. Today we're commencing, as Dave said, a sermon series from this famous book of the Old Testament. It's, it's ca categorised in the wisdom section of the Old Testament, so you find it on the shelf beside Proverbs and Song of Songs, for example. Ecclesiastes, if, if we know anything of it, we know it to be famous for its rather troubled and gloomy tone, but that's only parts of the book. For many people, though, that's all they remember of Ecclesiastes, which means they miss the good advice that's given in other parts of the book. I hope that over our series, we'll get to know the positive teaching sections as well as the gloomy observation sections. The, the gloomy sections are actually only there to expose our false hopes and wrong basis for living, to show us the poverty and limitations of any life lived without proper reference and regard to God. So much of Ecclesiastes reminds us of our creatureliness. How do you say that? Creatureness? Not sure. Maybe I should just change the word. Being creatures. Ever since the serpent convinced Eve back in Genesis 3 that it was possible to become like God and not surely die, humans have been trying to replace God with themselves, to leave him out of the picture of life on this earth. Ecclesiastes will challenge us to not live like that. In case you're wondering, the name Ecclesiastes is the Greek form of the Hebrew word we have translated as teacher here in our Bibles. The teacher is the key speaker in the book. Except for the opening verse, where someone I'll call the author introduces the teacher there in verse 1 of chapter 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. The author's probably arranged a whole lot of the teacher's words in this book, and the author returns in the last chapter and writes the last six verses of the book, the important last six verses of the book, where we'll learn that the one called the teacher was a teacher of people and set out many prophets, so sounds like part of a, a wisdom team in Israel. But here in chapter 1, verse 1, he's also described as a king in Jerusalem. And when you hear someone in a church talking about Old Testament and wisdom and king, you don't need to have too much of a detailed knowledge of the Old Testament to immediately think of Solomon, the second king of Israel, who succeeded his father David, a son of David. Solomon was famous, remember, as the one whom, uh, when asked what you want, anything you want by God, chose wisdom. 
and God gave him great wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, though, the name Solomon is never used. So is the teacher Solomon or is it just some later descendant of David? Some commentators don't even think it is Solomon and they think uh, that the teacher just role-plays as someone like Solomon because, as we'll see next week, uh, the teacher conducts an extensive investigation into all aspects of life and you'd really need the resources of a king to do that. Anyway, whoever the unnamed teacher is, it's his words that are all important. They remind us that we're creatures, not creators. And I'm going to summarise the first 11 verses, the introduction today under two headings. All our achievements are fleeting and all our attempts to make a mark on the world are futile. So all our achievements are fleeting. Think of your best experiences, maybe a, that sensational taste of some food, the best night out with friends, experiencing a sporting moment of exhilaration, the smile from your baby, the enjoying talking with your teen or young adult child, re- receiving a professional award. We talk about savouring moments like that because they don't last. They're there one moment and then they pass. They're fleeting. And fleeting is a good word to help explain the famous exclamation there in verse 2 of chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The actual um, Hebrew word there is breath. And it occurs more than 30 times in Ecclesiastes. So you can see it's very important to what the teacher's saying. It's a word to describe human existence. By breath, he means everything to do with human life that doesn't last, that that everything doesn't last, that it's insubstantial, that it isn't permanent, that it's ephemeral. In other words, it's fleeting. Like breath, it's there briefly and then it's gone. And so the teacher observes that it is breath or fleeting when a person works hard but doesn't live to enjoy the fruit and the fruit are passed to another. And he observes elsewhere that humans are no better than animals, that they both just die and that that's another example of the breath or fleeting quality of human life. And when he observes a person who has wealth but is never satisfied, the teacher also labels that fleeting Their contentment was short-lived. And old age makes youth and vigour fleeting as well. Psalm 39, and I'll put it up on the screen for you, uh, has the same word, and I think it helps us just to see the, the idea of breath. You've made my days a mere hand breath. This is verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 39. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth, without knowing whose it will finally be. love that word. Everyone is but a breath and everyone goes around like a phantom. It really communicates, doesn't it, that fleeting sense of this word breath. We're there and we look so secure we aren't forever. And, and this uh, is worth noting is the problem with the translators here of our NIV 
who've chosen to use meaningless instead of breath or fleeting or another word like that. Because the teacher doesn't consider everything meaningless. So, for example, he clearly doesn't consider youth to be meaningless. He's really positive about it when he writes this in chapter 11. If you're a fast flicker, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 of chapter 11. You are young. Be happy while you're young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigour are meaningless. Youth and vigour aren't meaningless, they're just fleeting. Old age takes over is the point he's making there. The teacher wants us to recognise that our lives and therefore all our achievements are fleeting. Nothing's permanent. We're creatures with finite lives. We're not God who is and has been, always be, and always will be. Yet we would claim mastery over our lives and ignore him, like we're little gods. That's foolish and ignores the reality of our human existence. The other reality that we have, as well as fleeting, that we have to pick up that's sprinkled throughout Ecclesiastes is that God will bring you into judgment. As the last verse of the book states, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So that's the first idea here to see in Ecclesiastes, that that idea of our, our lives as humans being mere breath, being fleeting. There's more to see, and so I move to my second heading, all our attempts to make a mark on the world are futile. I was thinking about Ecclesiastes last Saturday when a group of us were working on replacing the stormwater pipe here at church. The roots from the big fig tree had invaded and blocked the terracotta pipe laid down there all those years ago. I imagine there'd once been a contest between the tree and the pipe, but now it was very clear who had won. The tree had won. There was one root ball nearly as wide as the pipe. It was clearly limiting water getting through and away, as we found to our cost in the big storms back in March. The teacher would say, well, what did you expect? Did you expect your attempt to make the world fit your needs would be successful forever? He observes that mankind's efforts to tame the world are futile. The word breath, which we've seen the NIV translates as meaningless, also has this shade of meaning uh, beside fleeting. Our attempts to make an impact or impression on reality are ultimately futile. Reality is elusive. It resists our attempts to capture and control, to contain, to grasp hold of it. Our efforts just aren't permanent. And that's the sense captured by, question th- by the question of verse 3 and the poem that follows through to verse 11. So verse 3, What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Toiling for gain or profit is a big theme of the teacher in this book. And by under the sun there, he means life in the present world, on this earth, 
in the environment in which we live? What do people gain from all their effort? What profit do they gain, like wealth and possessions and leisure? That's what we hope to gain, isn't it? In a consumer-oriented culture, that fits really well with what we're experiencing, doesn't it? We toil to get more or to use more effectively what we've already done, already have, that house improvement, or to be able to relax for, for longer periods. The teacher thinks that the positive results of all this toil will be fleeting, because for one thing, we die, but it'll also be futile because we just can't control creation. So from the poem in verse 3 to 11, we learn the teacher's observation that there's no gain that's permanent enough to be worth speaking of. History moves on endlessly. And what mark then do people make on this world? Well, it's trivial. So verse 4, generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever. It's this, by futility, it's this, this sense of permanency of our environment and our inability to really change it for and have a lasting impact. The teacher describes the world here in this poem as like a sort of a machine, a, a closed system that keeps going on, whatever man may do to it. So verse 5, you have the sun... And then verse 6, the wind, which is endlessly moving through the world, and don't we know it today? And then verse 7, there's a water cycle involving streams and rivers flowing to the sea and only for evaporation and rain to refill the streams so they can flow back to the sea that never gets full. Catherine and I watched one of those David Attenborough-type shows a while back where they, you know, the ones where they keep showing glimpses of creatures in the world and you're just amazed that they can do that and then they show you that creature doing that and you just, it's just the variety and the complexity is just amazing. The one scene I remember is of this little bird courting the female with the help of two mates. And each of them had to do this little dance and fluff their feathers, but it was clear which of the three gets the girl. And then, I think, I, I think I didn't dream this, that guy has to go and help his mates put on a show to attract their girls. Now, that was just amazing. Like, that's one species of bird that do that, not, not the other species. And that was just one scene in this program, which was one episode of eight. Creation is a vast an intricate reality. And even with all our clever scientists and, and money uh, put into studies, you know, even of most specific things like particular species of frogs in a particular northern New South Wales river, we, we can't really grasp it all. Why did all the fish die up in, in north, northwest New South Wales earlier this year? Well, they had their theories, but no one was really sure. And so verse 8 is is so true of man that reality is overwhelming. You, you can't quite get your head around it and, in fact, it's futile to try because all things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear. It's full of hearing. There's this vastness of our world and we can't really get our head around it and so our efforts to tame it and control it and list it all out while a good thing, ultimately, we can't get there. There's a, a futility about the exercise. There's this constant 
regularity about the world. We know that well here on the coast. Have you ever sat and watched the waves come? They don't stop. They keep on coming, don't they? Forward and back, forward and back. And the day the waves don't come, well, we've learnt from what happened in Bali that that's, that, that day there's a tsunami coming, a really, really big wave, and then it'll be really clear that our impact on our world is futile, that we can't control our world. So verse 9 describes the constancy of the world, of creation. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. Of course, people are always inventing something new. I imagine some of you, as I read verse 10, were thinking, what about computers and smartphones? But the teacher's point is that we don't really make much of an impact. We can do clever things, but in the long term, over the big picture of our world, we're fleeting and our impacts are ultimately futile. Verse 11, no one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. We are relatively insignificant compared to the creation which has gone on for thousands of years. Of course, there are some famous people. You could tell me Julius Caesar. It's interesting if you start listing famous people from the past. A lot of the people you come up are religious leaders. Jesus Christ, Buddha, Muhammad. That's interesting, isn't it? But, you know, Julius Caesar... William Shakespeare, who have made a lasting impact, but in so many ways doesn't the exception prove the rule. Think of the millions of people that have lived with those people and we don't remember them. We're relatively insignificant compared to the creation. So our attempts to control creation are rather futile. I guess a symbol of that is when those constant waves on the seashore erode the sandcastle carefully built and decorated by the father and his children. The water sweeps over and erases the marks on the beach the family has made. Their work was fleeting and futile, a mere breath on the seashore. It's not a bad symbol of what Ecclesiastes is saying about humanity in our world. Now, I doubt that the teacher had heard of climate change when he was writing. The teacher's poem, though, is clearly not a biblical mandate for not caring for the environment, as if we won't be able to really hurt it because it just goes on and on. We know in the short to medium term, we can damage rivers and oceans and air and in the process destroy some of these wonderful species. We're we're clearly commanded elsewhere in the Bible to care for the rest of the world for the sake of God's creation and the sake of our neighbour. But notice from another point of view that rising sea levels or increased bushfire risk are all examples actually of the teacher's ideas in this poem. We can't ultimately ourselves control weather and sea levels. They keep on going even with and in spite of man's efforts. And when it comes to creation and climate change, while the most if man while the most significant influence on those things remains dwarfed by the planet's systems. We, we prove our futility with our feeble efforts to try and undo some of our detrimental legacies. We're not in control 
and what achievements we do have, all be good, seem trivial and insignificant beside the solid and relentless creation. The teacher thinks that all our attempts to make a mark on the world are futile and what achievements there are are fleeting. Next week we'll see another expression of the teachers for life's fleeting quality and futility is chasing after the wind. You never permanently succeed. More of that next week. Human life is fleeting and futile because we are creatures. We don't possess the power of God to will, to make, sustain, to constantly be, to change. Our lives are not in our own hands. Our destiny is not in our hands, despite how fondly the sports commentators throw that phrase around at this time of year. But then, from another point of view, maybe our destiny is a little bit in our hands because we can choose whether or not to acknowledge our creator. We can choose whether or not to see that we're creatures and to, and to seek to live in harmony with our creator and his will for us. As the teacher ob- observes in chapter 3, verse 17, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there'll be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. If we can't control and make our mark on creation, then we certainly can't make our mark on God which means we can't save ourselves from judgment. We need the the creator to become our saviour. Becoming the saviour is the role of the creator, not the sinner. In the midst of our fleeting frailty and futility, we're given a hope. It's a hope of salvation and transform bodies and life in God's eternal kingdom where life will no longer be marked by fleeting frailty, death and futility. This is not like the hope of those people who were living too close to the beach in Collaroy in June 2016. They had no certainty that another storm wouldn't reveal their position in all its frailty and futility. Our hope is certain because Jesus took on our frailty and experience the futility of living human in this world to die and rise again for us. The teacher never knew about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how he had defeated death once and for all. And because death is so much underlying the teacher's teaching, it, um, I think when you come to the book of Ecclesiastes, we need not go away depressed. Uh, like some readers have in the past. We actually uh, can go away with hope, helped by the writer of Ecclesiastes to remember our creatureliness and looking, therefore, to our Creator, who's also our Saviour, to redeem us for eternity. I thought I'd close with these verses of hope from Romans chapter 5 on the screen. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. 
as creatures characterised by fleeting fragility and futility, let us praise and depend on God. And I'm going to lead us to do that in a prayer right now.